chapter, we're, we're going to be carrying on our Route 66. We're going to be in the book of James, this all the way back to the beginning. What is this whole story of God's Word? What is this whole story in the Bible where God is showing himself to us so that we might do something? What is the whole story really about? It's interesting to think about. What is that bigger picture really about. There is a picture that unfolds in Genesis that that continues all the way through the Bible, and if I could sum it up, it might be along these lines, God showing himself to us and asking the question, will you trust me? Will you believe me? We're not going to be doers of God's word, as, 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 as James talks about, until we are believers of God's word, hearing what God has said, believing him, and when we believe, then we'll do something in light of that belief. That belief will be evident not merely by what we say we believe, but it will work itself out in the things that we then do because of what we believe. So all the way back in the beginning, there's a, there's a watershed moment in the book of Genesis. It's in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, We're, 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 uh, we, we, meet Gen- we meet a man named Abraham. Well, we met Abraham a little earlier in chapter 12. And Abraham has been called by God, and, and he's been brought into this new land that God promised he's going to give him. And things have been going pretty well for Abraham. Abraham has not always done just what he should have, but God has taken care of him. God has blessed him. God has provided for him. And Abraham has, is doing pretty good. Abraham is, is prosperous. Abraham has, has a big tent, and he has lots of cattle. Now, some of you may think, not sure that's your definition of prospering, but it was in Abraham's day. He had a big tent, and he had a lot of cows and other animals. And he had lots of servants who worked for him. He had a big staff. It was going good for Abraham. But Abraham kind of turned things upside down. He said, I've got plenty now, but Abraham was concerned about the future. Lord, I don't have a son I don't have a heritage. I don't have anybody that I'm going to be able to leave what you've given me to and who's going to carry on my name and who's going to carry forward the promise that you have given me. So Abraham is looking instead of at his current prosperity, Abraham's looking instead to the future. Too often we've got that backwards, don't we? Too often we are looking for current prosperity instead of looking into the future that God has promised us. Well, so God takes Abraham, and he, he reminds Abraham of his promise. He says, fear not. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. Oh, God, what will you give me, Abraham says. I continue childless. I have no heir in my house except a servant. Abraham said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my own household will be my heir, a servant. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, look toward heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. He said to him, so shall your descendants be. As innumerable as those stars, you won't be able to count them all. And Abraham believed God. It says, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Not because of something Abraham did, but because Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. That set a pattern that was sometimes lost, was sometimes confused in the history of God's people. 
There were times along the way through history and through the Bible as we continue reading it that we find that God's people did not always remember that their standing before God, their acceptance before God, their righteousness, their rightness in God's standing, in standing before God, was based on their faith in God. It was expressed in the Reformation very, very clearly again. This was revived and strengthened that we are saved by faith alone. And that wasn't something that just started when Christ came. That wasn't something that just started when the church came along, all the way back from Abraham before Moses. And through Moses, people were saved not because they did certain things, but their faith in, in what God had promised concerning these sacrifices and a coming Savior, a coming Deliverer. They believed God, and that was counted to them for righteousness. It goes back to Abraham in some big ways. In fact, if what God says to Abraham here is repeated in Romans chapter 4. Romans is, is, is a huge book for explaining our standing before God. How is it that we can be accepted by God? How is it that we can have, again, a restored and right relationship with God? And, it's, and, and, and Paul goes all the way back to Abraham. And Paul in Romans 4, he goes back to Abraham. He says, well, what did Abraham learn? What do we learn from Abraham? If we consider Abraham's story, what is the big takeaway from Abraham's life? Was Abraham right before God because of his works? If he was, then he'd have something to brag about. I was so good that even God approved of me. He says, no, that's actually not the way it happened. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, Paul, Paul writes in, in, in Romans 4 and verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but they're given as his due. They're paid out as his due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies, who makes right the ungodly, the undeserving, his faith is counted as righteousness. See what Paul's saying? Paul's grabbing the example of Abraham and saying, folks, that's how it is. That's how it's always been. We are saved by faith alone, just like Abraham was saved by faith alone. It's so important that it's repeated in Galatians chapter 3. We went through the book of Galatians a little while ago, but, but go ahead and take a moment and turn over there. Galatians chapter 3, we are saved by faith alone, verse 6, just as Abraham, again the quote comes up, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You can tell that something is central. You can tell that something is big in the Bible when it gets repeated like that, when it's continually used to undergird and as a foundational support. So Abraham is big because he's considered the, the, the father of faith. It's, it's, it's for the first time there is this clear statement in Scripture that somebody believed God and that was counted to them for righteousness. Not what they did, but simply their faith, their confidence, their trust in God. God said it, they believed it. They took God at his word for what they couldn't do. Abraham, by this time, is so old, he's, he's past the age of being able to father a child. How can God make such a promise? Yet God promises the seemingly un impossible. And Abraham simply believes God. And that's counted to him for rightness. Rightness before God. It's spelled out very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are saved, as the Reformer said, as John Calvin said in the Reformation, we are saved by faith alone. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It's, a, it's, it's perhaps a passage that you're familiar with. It says, For by grace, God's grace, you have been saved. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of any works. It's not of anything that we do so that nobody can boast. Just like Abraham couldn't boast. Not as a result of any works, but by grace you have been saved through faith. That, that theme is going to come up in James as well. Now, now I, should, I, I should read a little further in, in Ephesians before we go to the book of James. For it says, You're not a result of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained and marked out and planned so that we could walk in them. Something new has happened. God has determined, he has marked out good works that we who believe can now walk in, can now be able to walk in, having been saved by grace for good works. So it has been said, and it was said by John Calvin, we think John Calvin, I couldn't actually find something written where John Calvin is actually quoted. Uh, some people said, oh, it was Martin Luther that said this. Somebody said, well, it was a friend of mine that said this, but he probably heard it from somebody, I think. Because apparently you can go all the way back, probably not Luther, probably Calvin, but I don't know for sure. But they said it this way, and they said it so well. We are saved by faith alone. But faith that saves is never alone. Did you get that? We're saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Faith works. Faith works. Faith, faith is, is vital. It is alive, just like a newborn baby cries out. Do you remember the old day that there used to be? Uh, I, didn't, I don't remember actually seeing this happen uh, when our kids were delivered. Um, but I remember seeing the typical scene in the, in, the, in, the, in the delivery of a child in a movie of some sort where one of the first things the doctor would do is hold that little baby upside down. I'm not sure why the upside down, but it was probably important. Hold the baby upside down and then give it a good smack on the backside, right? Just starting them off right, right? And then the baby lets out a big cry. And that's actually a good thing. It, 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 it clears the lungs. It's that, first, it's that first cry out that exercises those lungs and stretches them. And off, off it goes, breathing and crying out and screaming in the middle of the night from there. And that's all wonderful, right? But, 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 but that initial crying out that you know that there is life here. Life, vital life is, is evident. It, it, it shows itself. No, no, you don't have to take that baby out. That baby can cry, and we'll know he's here. Bye, Michael. Okay. So, in the same way, faith in our lives works. Faith works. It will do something. We have said that we, we are a, a family of God as a church, being changed by God's truth. That we are not hearers of God's truth who come and learn something and say, hmm, that's interesting and walk away as if nothing has happened. But God's truth, heard and believed, does something. It changes, it transforms, and that's the point of the book of James. James would agree with Calvin that we are saved by faith alone. James assumes that. You'll see as we dig into chapter 2, kind of the heart of his letter. We are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. 
So then what does it look like that, that James is going to tell us, okay, let's go to chapter 2, James chapter 2 and verse 14. I should give you a little background on James. James in context, one of the earliest epistles. Probably, now there's about four James in the Bible. So which James? It was probably written by James, the half-brother of the Lord. James, who was born um, to Mary by his, his real father, Joseph, after Jesus was born. Jesus was, uh, was, was virgin-born, you remember. James and Mary, or Joseph and Mary had not had any relations yet. Jesus was born. And after that, then, there, there are several other brothers of Jesus born to Mary from her husband, Joseph. Okay, James is one of those who did not believe Jesus during his earthly ministry. His brothers ridiculed him. Said, well, if you want to be famous, come on up, go up to the feast, do some of your signs. Because his brothers didn't yet believe in him. But after his resurrection, they believed. After they saw, imagine your, your half-brother, he had all these crazy claims that he's made, and then he rises from the dead. That was James' experience. And James became one of the leading figures of the church. He's the James that delivers the final judgment and opinion and answer in Acts chapter 15. Well, he writes this book. He writes this book prior to that. It's interesting, this James is also known, was also known as Camel Knees. How would you like to have the nickname Camel Knees? Well, you probably wouldn't wear shorts a lot, huh? If, you, if, if people called you Camel Knees, <clears throat> here comes Camel Knees again. You know why James was called Camel Knees? James was called Camel Knees because he was a man of prayer. He spent so much time kneeling on his knees in rough places. His knees were very calloused. His knees were as calloused as, most, as the bottom of most people's feet would be who would walk about in rough places barefoot. That's why they called him Camel Knees because James spent a lot of time on his knees in prayer. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? What do you think? He spent time on his knees in prayer because he believed God. He believed that if he would pray, God would answer. And so he developed rough knees because he believed. And so, so James is, is writing this epistle. He's writing, in fact, in the, in the first verse, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion greeting. Okay, that's interesting. The twelve tribes. He's writing to Israelites. He's writing to Israelites who have come to Jerusalem. They've heard, they, 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 they were there, perhaps some of them, and on Pentecost, Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They were there for Peter's sermon again in Acts chapter 3. They heard these things, and they've come back on the feast since then, over several years, and the gospel of Jesus raised from the dead. And faith in him to new life has gone out among these people as they travel back to their home places and in their synagogues, the message, without Peter or Paul getting there yet, the message of faith in Christ is growing and spreading. And these, these, these folks are believers in Christ. And it's, it's in a sense at this point, if Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, it's kind of a completed Judaism. There's still a, a, a thinking of, of how do we then live as the people of God who believe God in the midst of a wicked world. So there's some comparisons to us. How do we live as the people of God who believe God in the midst scattered among a wicked world? We're not unlike these early Jewish Christians in that sense. There's a, there's a big cultural difference between them and the people that they find themselves around. And James is encouraging them, because they believe, to live out that faith in very real and very practical ways. So, 
We come to James chapter 2, and I'm going to survey the, the overall topics of the book after we deal with this core issue which comes, comes up in chapter 2, this tension between faith and works. This was a difficulty uh, because of the day that he lived. Martin Luther wasn't really happy about the book of James. He believed that James wrote it. He understood that it was part of the Bible. He didn't really contest that, but he called it an epistle of straw. Or to quote Luther, actually, a right strawy epistle. Because it seemed to him to contradict the very clear message of Paul in Romans, concerning Abraham, in Galatians, in Ephesians, that we're saved by grace through faith, not by the things that we do. Very clear. And James seems at times to contradict that. But what do you do with that? When one part of the Bible seems to contradict the other, what do you do with that? Can you believe this? Can you make sense of it? Well, let's dive right into the thick of it, shall we? Chapter 2 of James, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Well, if you just read Paul, you would say, well, yeah. Aren't we saved by faith, not works? So if someone has faith, if someone, oh, says he has faith, it doesn't say has faith, definitively. It says someone says he has faith. Someone says, I believe. And he gives the for instance. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poor, uh, uh, is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, well, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? It doesn't help. Words were spoken, but they're of no meaning. They're, uh, they don't make any difference. So it is, words can be spoken concerning faith that don't have any power, don't have any impact. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. <gasps> is James saying then that we are saved, that we are then right before God, accepted by God, by both faith and works? Well, I already said up front, and it was Abraham's experience, and it's been validated since then that we are saved by faith alone. What is James saying? James is saying that we are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. He will say, well, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe. You believe that God is one. Oh, somebody would say, well, sure, are you going to heaven? Well, sure, I'm going to heaven. I'm a pretty good person. No, no, that's faith in one's works. I believe that I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. That's not faith in God and what God has said. That's faith in my own works. Someone would say, well, no, no, I, of course I'm going to heaven. I'm right with God. I believe in God as if God is just sitting around waiting for people to believe in him, to believe that God exists. You believe in God. He says, even the, even the demons believe in God. Even the demons believe that God is... My tongue is having trouble this morning. Even the demons believe that God is one. Boy, that's the great, the great uh, statement of, of, uh, of Israel orthodoxy. Behold, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, that there is only one God. He is not a God among many gods. There is one true and living God. Well, the demons know that. The ISIS terrorists, they believe in one God, but that what they believe about that one God is very different what, 
than what we believe. In fact, if you were to tell somebody in ISIS about Jesus, the Son of God, who, who, who died for our sins, who rose from the dead and who is coming again, their blood would boil and they would want to tear off your head. Right? So there's something different about the faith that we have in one God or God that is one. The demons believe in God, but they participate in a rebellion to change who got to be God. Kind of like Adam and Eve believed that God was God, and yet they chose to do things their own way, right? So you believe in God? I believe in God, so everything should be great, right? Not necessarily. Is that saving faith? Generic belief in God, in God's existence, is not saving faith. Well, what is? We are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Look at verse 20. Do you want to be shown, oh foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? It doesn't have any effect. It doesn't make any difference. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Wait a minute. You tell me. Was, was Abraham our father justified by works? You see why I read Genesis earlier? You know this one. Come on. Abraham believed God and... It was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham was justified by faith. Abraham was justified because he believed God in Genesis chapter 15. Well, he says, wait a minute here. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Well, that did happen. He did offer his son Isaac on the altar. It's an interesting example that James has pulled here. Abraham believes God. He believes God especially concerning the promise of a son that he does not have and he cannot produce by himself. But he believes God. And then over here, many chapters and many years later in Genesis 22, Abraham is told to take that same son and to offer him back to God on an altar. Same son. The son that was promised. The son he's now supposed to give back. The son that he's supposed to watch die the son through whom all his other descendants are supposed to come through, and Isaac doesn't have any sons yet. How can this be? And yet Abraham believes God, and he's willing at that moment to raise the knife even to his own son. And God stops him, and you know the rest of the story. God provides a substitute on that day, a substitute in the place of Abraham's son, just like he offered a substitute himself for you and I. In fact, Abraham's words that day to his servant were, God will provide himself. Actually, these were his words to Isaac. God will provide himself a lamb for the sacrifice. And he did. Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By this time, Hebrews 11 tells us that by this time, Abraham so believed God, his faith was settled and matured and bearing fruit to the point that he believed he would do what God said because even if it meant raising his son from the dead, God would keep his promise. Abraham believed God. The evidence of his faith was seen in what he was willing to do. And so Abraham's faith is validated, vindicated, evidenced. I thought, of, I thought of bringing some vegetables from our garden this morning for the kids. We, we have corn. Now, where did that corn come from? Well, we took little seeds, and we, plant, we stuck them into the ground. You know the first time we did that, nothing happened? Nothing came up? I don't know if the ants carried them away. I don't know what happened, but nothing happened. So we took those little yellow seeds again, stuffed them into the ground, and guess what? Little green shoots came up. They didn't look a whole lot like corn. You couldn't eat them. They looked nothing even like the seeds that we planted. 
But over time it grew and it got taller and taller. And I remembered from when I was a wee little young lad and we had a garden, that's what corn looks like. And sure enough, along the way, these ears of corn grew on those stalks. And when you unwrapped them, you never heard it called that before, did you? You shuck the corn or you unwrap it, there's things in there. You know what they look like? They look just like the seeds that were planted into the ground. We planted cucumbers. Same thing, little tiny seeds for cucumbers. You put the seeds in the ground, kind of on a mound sort of thing you're supposed to. You put them in the ground, and then these big leafy plants grow, and they take over the whole rest of the garden. They grow like weeds, cucumbers do. But along the way, they start growing these long, skinny green things. Didn't look anything like the seeds that we planted either. But I know that that cucumber came. How do I know that that cucumber came from that little seed that we stuck in the ground? How do I know? Because when you chop the thing open, what do you find inside? You find little seeds that look just like that initial seed that was planted. You see, the, 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 the stuff that grows out of the garden, the fruit that's produced, grows from. And you know, all, all those cucumbers, and this is really amazing with zucchini, because you know how monstrous zucchini get. Or pumpkins. The palms grew like a 112 or 18 pound pumpkin. A huge monster of a pumpkin, right? And it all came from what? That whole pumpkin was packed into that little seed, wasn't it? How does God do that? He packs a huge pumpkin into just a little seed. How does he do that? All of it is in there. And it grows and it shows itself. It shows what that seed really was. Our faith is kind of like that. Our faith is like that. Abraham's faith, when he believed God in Genesis 15, it, it grows. And along the way, you see some green shoots come up in Abraham. And along the way, there's more until it finally matures to the point that he is willing to trust God with everything. He's willing to trust God in life or death. He's willing to trust God with all of his promises and Abraham and his family's future. Everything toward eternity, I will trust God with that because God's word can be counted on. Abraham believed God, and the, the reality of his belief is evidenced in what Abraham does. That's the example. So Abraham's faith, it says here, was completed by his work. It was vindicated. It reaches its intended end. That's what that word means. Even as God's love is being perfected in us, John says, it's the same word. So Abraham's faith is perfected in him to the point that, that his faith produces fruit. You know that his faith was real just like you knew that that seed was good because it grew. And it produced fruit. It showed itself. Faith that works is faith that works. Faith that does something. Faith that changes. I believe God and His, and because of that belief, God is working in me and He changes me. I don't come to the Word and just see it and go on, but God's Word, because I believe it, has its effect on me. What you know determines what you can believe. If you don't know what God has said, if we don't know God's promise, we can't believe it. But what we believe will determine what we do, one way or another. What we're really believing, and sometimes in the, in the press and troubles of life, what we do is evidencing what we actually believe. That's why James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Because those trials reveal what we really are believing and what we might not yet be believing. And there, 
God goes to work. So then, Abraham is an example. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. James quotes the same thing in verse 23. The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. You saw that he didn't just say that he believed. You saw that Abraham really believed because of what he was willing to do in light of what God said. Abraham believed God. And so he was called the friend of God. There was close relationship there. You see that a person is justified, he says, then by works and not by faith alone. Faith that works is faith that works. It's not faith plus works, but our faith, when it is real, when it is vital, when we believe, it is changing. It is transforming. It produces God's fruit within us. In the same way, it was not only Rahab, James says. Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers or the spies and sent them out by another way. Before Jericho and the rest of Israel attacked and, and defeated Jericho, remember they sent spies into the land first. And the spies went into Jericho. And, and this woman, Rahab, she hid them from the soldiers that came looking for them. Where are those guys that came by your place? Oh, they went off and they, they, went, they journeyed off this way and she hid them up on a roof and then she lowered them out with a rope and they were able to escape. She did that because she knew, she knew that God was with them. It says clearly in the story that what she did, what she did because of what she believed. And that's James' point. You know, the people around us today, People around us today have been promised to over and over again. They've been told stuff by so many people that they've found out that they can't believe it. They can't rely on it. And so they're tired of hearing from us what we insist is true. They want, they want to see it. They, they're, they're crying out, show me something I can believe. Show me something worth believing in. And to the extent that we believe God's truth and put our lives there, live our lives in that direction, according to what God has said, according to his promise, instead of the distractions and the deceptions that are around us, the things all around us that tell us what really matters, when we devote ourselves to what God has said that that's really true, when people see that, when people see us doing things that are at cost to ourselves because of what God has said, that makes a difference to them. Show us, t tell me, how do I know what you're telling me is not simply because you want me to do something that in some way benefits you? How do I know that? Because people today in our generation are tired of being manipulated for somebody else's advantage. Now, going back to the book of James as a whole, what is James about? James chapter 1 is that faith trusts God. Faith trusts God in the midst of trials and troubles. It believes his promises instead of the enemy's lies. That even in the midst of this trial and this trouble, I can believe God's promise for the future, no matter what it seems to be costing, and no matter how this trouble tells me, or the enemy would whisper in my ear, you see, God's not doing what you wanted. God's not helping you here. If God were God, why would he be allowing this? No, faith continues to believe God's promise that God will be for us, though the whole world is against us. That God is actually proving and stretching our faith
and, and showing its, it for its strength. You remember when the disciples, early in the book of Acts, they actually, they're, they're persecuted and they go out and they have a prayer meeting and they're thanking God that he would consider them worthy to suffer for his name. Thanking God that he would consider them worthy to suffer the same kind of rejection by others that Jesus also suffered. Oh, that's so different from our perspective today. God, if you're God, then you should be doing the things I want. You should be making my life easier when this is not the end, folks. This is not the end. We, this, this is a dress rehearsal for eternity. And the real is yet before us. And, and faith believes that. Even it believes God even in the midst of troubles. Faith loves those others easily overlook. Chapter 2, he talks about a rich person versus a poor person. A rich person who comes in, you get recognized, oh, come sit up here, because this person is somebody. This person's a mover and shaker. This person's got money. This person could help us. We want this person to like us and think favorably of us. Ah, oh, somebody who's poor, somebody who's going to need from us rather than give to us. Oh, not as interested in. Faith loves and gives to and lifts up those that others easily overlook. Why? Because God says, when you've done that to the least of these, You've done it unto me. And if we believe that, we'll act differently. We'll serve different. If we believe that, we will do differently. Faith blesses with words of grace rather than slander or gossip or self-promotion. James chapter 3 is all about the power of the tongue. And how easily we use the tongue for evil when God has given it to us for good for the building up of one another, for the strengthening of others, for the encouragement of others, and not for exalting or boasting in ourselves, our own selfish ambition. James chapter 4, faith serves rather than seeks its own gain and advancement. Faith trusts God with the future rather than leaning on our own plans and how we design things. Chapter 5, faith gives. Faith trusts God rather than earthly riches. He goes into this great rant. It's a wonderful one. Good for us to hear. James chapter 5, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl. The miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. It will, you know. It will, either through inflation or just through the upheaval that is coming upon the world. The things that are so valuable now will not be. One of, the, one of the greatest wonders of eternity is why people through time spend so much energy trying to accumulate paving stones. Because in heaven the streets are made of gold. Right? In eternity what we valued so much will be the stuff that we walk on. It'll be like concrete. It'll be the sidewalk material. It'll be like asphalt. Does anybody have asphalt in their, in, their, um, in, in, in their saving deposit box? No. You might have a really precious rock you picked up somewhere, I suppose, but probably not. See, faith trusts God with what is truly valuable compared to what we're told all around us has value, but is actually nothing. You know, we, we, we exercised faith last week, through the week. Through the last couple of weeks, we've been praying for a little girl. In, in, in a medical situation that the doctor said, you know, there's not a lot of hope here. 
And uh, yet, people have prayed. People have given. People have um, sent encouragement. The, the Iwana kids on Thursday night, they did for the four different teams of the, the yellow team, the red team, the blue team, and the green teams. They all signed posters and, and had notes on there for Agatha. The, the Golden Heirs, our seniors ministry, had a, had, a, had a very large offering just to help the family at this particular time of need. Uh, one person in our church made this beautiful handmade quilt for Agatha on her bed there in the hospital. And you know, in this last week, we've seen marvelous improvements, way beyond what, what the medical team expected. And, I, and, and I'm convinced it's a result not only of good medical care, but it's a result of prayer and God working of God hearing and answering those prayers in a way that he chose that was beyond some of our expectations. And and yet it was the caring within the body and things like this. Why do we do these things? Because we believe. Because we believe that God, God is going to raise up this little girl. God is, is, is with this little girl. She's not on her own. It's not merely up to the doctors. There's more than that going on. And uh, I, I tell, you, tell you some of the stories about how she's recovered. But this blanket's going to be special to her because she's, she's, she's alert. She's, she's following her parents around. She's, she's interacting. She can't talk because of surgery on her job. But, but, but she's able to give thumbs up when they ask her about this or that. Uh, her mom was scratching her nose because it itched and she's not supposed to scratch it. She tear, te- tears out a tube that's there. And, and so her mom's scratching her nose and her mom said, you can scratch my nose. And so she reaches out and does just that. Something that little... But remarkable, and you think of the understanding and ability as well as the motor skills to be able to do all of that, that where she was a week ago, that, that was not out there. That wasn't, that wasn't deemed possible. Tugging on her dad's beard and just the kind of antics that are Agatha. We prayed, and we've already seen God answer. Why do we pray? Because we believe. You see, what we know determines what we can believe. And what we believe determines what we do. James is calling us to not merely be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. You know, I think, I think in, in, in closing that this, this call, this, this press of James, for us to not merely say we believe, but to step into that faith, it's, it's, it's a time to, to do that, I think. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. But as they do, we're going to close in prayer. Well, my, my message time. We're going to sing a couple of songs. One of the songs we're going to sing is the song that we just sang. It's, a, it's an invitation song. No matter where you are in your spiritual life, it's an invitation song. Come to God. Lay down your burdens. Come as you are. And I think that... Sometimes our faith needs some action in order to, to strengthen it, to cement it, to, to a marker of sorts. I, I don't mind, care so much that somebody says, well, of course, I'm, I'm right with God because I, I, I believed and went forward, you know, 30 years ago. That is really not so much of interest to me. What's interest to me is, well, do you believe Do you believe in Jesus as Savior today? That he's the one who died for you and rose again? Do you believe that still? Or do you believe that now? That's what matters. And and, and yet sometimes, if, if you have believed that, 
want to believe that. But sometimes also standing up, coming forward, uh, proclaiming before others, I believe in Jesus, matters. It makes a difference. Faith wants to move. Perhaps it's a matter of stepping into something that God has said. What I have been trusting, what I should be believing. Something I should do because of what I believe. And, and to come and, and, and stand with somebody else and, and tell them that. And, and commit to them, this is what God has said. There is some strengthening that because we're no longer walking on our own. And easily then misled again by the devil himself just whispering into our own heads. But rather, we're with somebody else in this. We are meant to walk together. We are meant to run this race together. So I'm going to invite you, even as we sing, come as you are, if this is a time to, to come forward and to pray with somebody else, to come forward and just make a, 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 an expression of your faith and something God has revealed to you to somebody else, it's a good time to do that. So in the midst of this song, as we pray, I'm going to invite you to come as you are. Father, would you give us strength for this? Lord, would you help us to not merely be hearers of the word but doers, to not merely say that we believe, but, Father, to take whatever that next step into believing actually is. Lord, to, to trust you right now in this moment, but to be willing to take a step because we trust you, and that alongside others that we might know Jesus who died for us as Savior, or that we might take the, take the next step of obedience like Abraham in our walk with you, that we would trust you with something that is precious to us, that we would be willing to lay down that burden, trusting you with it. Lord, give us courage for this. Lord, let our faith be faith that works. We pray it in Jesus' name.